The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience, I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, how you doing? Thanks for coming back to another episode of the show. I'll leave the introduction a little bit short this week mostly because I don't have anything interesting to say. Uh, this piercer uh, goes by WikiLea, which is their Instagram handle. Uh, they're my guest this week. Our guest, I have uh, Lola Slider on the interview with me. We recorded this one at the APP conference also. Um, WikiLea is a, a, a piercer that would, you know, maybe identify as both an American piercer and a, a Chinese piercer. Um, talks a lot about... Uh, just the, the, the differences that you want to understand between the, the cultures of a North American piercer and their access and a piercer in China and their access. Um, try to remove the concept from your mind that um, all Chinese jewelry, all Chinese piercing is like what we would think of as mystery metal and external thread and stuff like that. That's going to exist in, in any piercing market, regardless of what country you're in around the world. But try to think about the piercers who want to go above and beyond, who want to grow their community, grow their their industry, uh, and they want access to things like the best jewelry, the best sterilizers, the best information, and how difficult it is to actually have access to some of that stuff uh, outside of, of North America, not just China. I, I see a lot of similarities uh, for, for piercers that are struggling with quality issues in, in Central and South America, in Europe, in Russia, throughout Asia. All these different countries have all these these issues with access that we don't really have uh, as, as piercers in North America. So try to look beyond your own shop and your own jewelry case and your own clientele and um, really just kind of listen a little bit. Get a good feel for how hard people are working to better themselves around the world, and in particular uh, in China. That's kind of the the focus on on this episode here. So uh, it's myself and and Lola talking with WikiLea uh, about some issues pertinent to uh, the Chinese piercing scene. Uh, I don't really have a lot else to say other than um, I don't have another new episode for next week. This is the third of my three interviews that I had time to record at the APP conference. So I am uh, on my way to see Lola again soon. We'll record something together and I'll get that published for you. Um, But for now, I'd just like to remind you that I have a uh, a piercing seminar, an online webinar available on Sunday, August 20th. Registration is open now. You can go to ryanpba.com and get all the info there or follow the Body Art Education by Ryan Willett Facebook page, August 20th, 2023. So let's go ahead and get into this interview with WikiLea and I'll be back a bit more at the end. So we're at the APP conference in Las Vegas. Um, Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself first? Uh, My name is Lola Slider and uh, I am the co-host of the Piercing Wizard podcast. I am the Piercing Wizard podcast assistant manager, um, and I pierce at Forest Piercing in Glasgow, Scotland. And go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Melissa, more popularly known as WikiLea. 
So my Instagram handle is Wikilea, W-I-K-I-L-E-A. It does not mean anything. I made it up in fifth grade. But I am a piercer at Equinox Art Collective in Woodstock, Georgia. And I also do travel pretty frequently. I was traveling for the last year or so and decided to go back to finish out my degree in marketing at Georgia State University. So now I have a home base in Georgia. I feel like marketing would be a pretty beneficial skill for a body piercer. Yeah, absolutely. I love marketing. It's one of my favorite things about the corporate world in America. And just capitalism has its benefits and not benefits. (laughs) But like marketing is very interesting. There's a lot of psychology behind it. And it's very beneficial for pretty much any industry that we could imagine. And it's crucial, especially in this day and age, for piercers because... During my apprenticeship, they actually really emphasized how much we should use marketing to bring in clientele because word of mouth was getting a little bit more slim in the day and age where people were going online, having more screen time, not going out with friends as much, and especially when the pandemic hit. And the way marketing has changed throughout the years has shifted the industry as well along with the country on how we handle things, how we have moved from a sales point of in-person to online sales and transferred a lot of our communications online too. To, to, to date myself, when I started piercing, marketing for a body piercer was like taking out a phone book ad or putting a, like they used to do like, um, those paper placemats at a restaurant, you would put like your ad on that and everything like that before anything digital or whatever like this is back when i had like a pager and people would page me for body piercing so yeah marketing has changed quite a bit i'm trying my best to 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 keep up basically with with social media but it's it's tough so i feel like people would need mentoring from from someone that has like the brain to understand all the psychology and technology behind it well i definitely started out my career in marketing as you know i spent the first seven months or so of my studio work life, uh, standing on the street, handing out flyers for five pounds an hour. Um, so that's, that's definitely marketing. <laughs> so I just had to stand in the rain all day with an umbrella, giving out cardboard flyers to people. So that if you're, if you're starting with phone book ads, that's my, my introduction to marketing, standing on the street, handing out flyers. Probably less effective than what you can do today. Less fun. That's fair. I did a lot of grassroots marketing. Yeah. I'm very big on that. I yeah. enjoy interacting with the local community in the sense of when I first started, all the concerts and shows I would go to, I'd be like, hello, would you like a sticker? Would you like 17 stickers? Will you please stick them places? <laughs> and I would just kind of go around to any place that was already sticker bombed and be like, let me see if I can get my brand out there, my logo, and interact with local businesses. For when I used to, when I moved to new studios, I would always go around different areas near the studio and knock on doors and be like, hello, I'm new to this area. This is my piercing studio. This is where I'm going to be at. If you need, if you or anyone else needs a piercing, let me know. Mm -hmm. And I would do that a lot with local businesses too, just to kind of build up a little bit of a community. And thankfully in my area, Facebook groups are very big where you can interact with the community and take a different level of marketing with word of mouth on top of the fact that we have modern social media promotion that's very fortunately free with both videos and photos along with 
I guess Google's still going to be big forever. So I, I think it depends on maybe yeah. the age group and when the person entered a comfort zone with technology. Because some people, it's like Google, and other people are still like, I use Bing for my searches. And it's like, you use what? To be fair. So I did come from China. I'm from Guangzhou, China originally, but I now live in America full time. But... I came from a country where a lot of social media, American social media, is restricted or banned or not fully talked about in the sense of we are missing a huge aspect of our world because they are shut away from the rest of us. So I was actually living in China when Facebook got banned, Hong Kong or Hong Kong riots got Snapchat and Instagram banned, or for a while Google was banned, so I used Bing because I was like, this is the closest American search engine I can use that I fully understand. And it's been an interesting shift to go back between countries and see how some of my family has access to the world and some of them do not. And it really does come down to comfort levels on what you feel like you're missing out on the world if you do not have access to American social media channels. Yeah, you know, like Google's not the same for everyone around the world and search right. engines aren't the same. So there's there's a, a big, I think, uh, desire sometimes for people to be like, I don't know, just Google it. And there's like, and there's a, you know, I get that frustration, but there's also the side of it that's like, well, what I, even when we're both on Google, what you Google is going to be different to what I Google right, because our search countries. engines are going to filter us different results. So, you know, taking that and then not even the same search engine, but multiple search engines we're all looking at different things and then we're all confused as to why we don't all have the same information when we're not presented with it that's true it is very interesting kind of how what we perceive as each country so for example some of the big social medias in china would be wechat which is the app we all know and love that can be controversial in this country but a lot of people don't know that's our main connection to our families back home and that's actually how a lot of chinese citizens use They use the app to pay for things. They use it as a search engine. They also use it as a social media. There's also another one called Xiao Hong Shu, which is, it translates to small red book, but that's their version of Instagram. And there's plenty of other types of social media out there, like in the olden days, their AOL was QQ, and lots of just different interesting things that had built from the country. And that's not to say that I would agree with a lot of the tracking that they use and how they use their social media in the country itself, but it is interesting to learn the differences about how difficult it is to pierce in China, for example, where my friends in China have to have a completely different marketing plan than we do in America or in the UK. We have to tailor to what the country allows us to promote and what's acceptable in the culture, what's considered taboo, and it's been a very interesting experience to be able to travel. Now that I'm thinking about it, I did not finish my introduction. As for what I do, I have been piercing for about five years now outside of my apprenticeship. I was in the industry for a year before. I had two mentors who are actually amazing tattooers in Georgia now, and they started out in a situation where none of us were put in, like wanted to be put into it because we had A scenario where a shop owner wanted us to take on, or wanted them to take on an apprentice, and none of us were in the proper position to do that. Mm -hmm. So I was very fortunate in the sense of being able to, A, get into the industry that I knew I wanted to be in since probably fifth grade, and B, I was able to have mentors who were willing to take the time to teach me in a difficult scenario where we weren't able to have access to all the tools and information we wish we could have had access to. Mm -hmm. 
along with the genuine push of them wanting me to succeed and encouraging me to go out and do community outreach with other piercers. They pushed me to do my first guest spots and do shadowing experiences with other piercers to learn as much as I can on top of the fact that they were trying to teach us everything they were taught. But because of that, it helped, really helped me develop a sense of community. This is my first time at APP, but I was very fortunate to be able to walk around and see so many familiar faces from all the guest spots and traveling and just different interactions I've had with all the piercers that I've met in classes and suspension meetups and just little things like that, where Overall, it was very cool to not have a linear path in the industry where instead of starting at a perfect studio, I started at a studio with externally threaded jewelry, and then we moved to threaded, and then we moved to threadless, and it was interesting seeing the progression of jewelry that happened along with that. But because of that, I was able to travel the country. It was very, very cool. It's still very cool. I'm extremely fortunate to be able to have so many offers to guest pierce across a beautiful nation where there's vast differences across each state. I still don't fully know what the American country looks like map-wise, yeah. but that is something where I've been able to experience a lot of different perspectives from both studios, clients, contractors that work within the studio or employees that work within the studio. And it has taught me a significant amount, along with the fact that so many people are so willing to share information with me, where it's like, hey, I've never used a statum before. How do I do that? And someone will get super excited and break it down for me and really teach me about, like, what is a statum cassette? Yeah. How do you seal it? How do you maintain it? And it really just helped open up a whole new world of learning how to pierce in a modern day and age from a non-traditional apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. But with that, I was very fortunate this past couple months to actually pierce in China, in my hometown, in Guangzhou. So I'm from Guangzhou, China. It's about two hours from Hong Kong. So train ride, that's usually where you go. And I pierced in Guangzhou, China and Shenzhen, China. So these are about an hour apart from each other. Guangzhou is my hometown. Shenzhen is where Huai and Mankit, Huai who recently interviewed with you. Mm-hmm. Or I guess not recently, 2019. It, it was a while ago, but like it was one of my one of my favorite interviews. Time's not real, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very cool. So I actually found him through your podcast, yeah. which was very interesting because I listened to the podcast, heard what he had to say about piercing in a Asian country and the difficult in- intricacies that can happen with that. And in 2019, around December, I had the opportunity to go back to China to visit my family. And with that, I ended up reaching out to him and I was like, hey, do you want to meet somehow? I know we're not in the same countries at all. And in fact, Malaysia is very far (laughs) from mainland China. But do you happen to be in town? (laughs) And turns out he actually was in the midst of planning a the first ever Chinese piercer meetup. And he was like, hey, let me actually do this in your hometown. So I was able to attend in 2019 the first ever Chinese piercer meetup, wow. which was monumental in Chinese piercer history because yeah. there's not much. Yeah. And it was fascinating. It was a lot of languages being bounced around at all times, and no one had any idea what was happening the whole way through. And it was still in a time where piercing is still legal in a lot of states in China, along with tattooing being very, very recently legalized along with still being illegal in certain places. 
So the fact that we were able to witness so many people from the Asian community show up and just talk about piercings, talk about body mods, and really foster a mini sense of community with a group that spent a lot of time being very similar to what America was in the 80s, where mm. it was like, don't tell your secrets, mm. don't share anything, don't mm. share your clients, you, they are all your competition. And China is still in that stage, strictly because it's a different culture, much mm -hmm. like most things. We don't understand certain cultures outside of our own until we really immerse ourselves into them. And the only way to do that is if we start talking about it and being like, hey, why are we not open sharing secrets? Is there a reason why you were taught to like feel this way? But in the long story short, we got to do the meetup thanks to your podcast. It was very cool. I was the only American piercer there, and it did help culture-wise to have two foreigners in the meetup because of Chinese culture being a little bit mistrusting towards each other. And that's something where you'll hear a lot of Asian communities joking about how we don't like other Asian communities. We're joking, but in the sense, there is a little bit of an underlying meaning with it. Yeah, and there's a joke to break the tension. Absolutely. But it's based on something. And that's something where no one's ever going to explicitly say, like, I don't like this, this community for this reason. But in China, there's a lot of mistrust for Chinese people towards Chinese people, especially South versus North or just in different regions. And with that tension, it was very cool to see it broken down completely when we went to this meetup where we were all like we have a one common ground of we all enjoy piercing and body modifications and we all speak different languages, but let's figure it out. Google Translate will be our best friend. We're going to hope for the best. So there was about 15 to 20 people there. I went over multiple topics such as how to do certain piercings. What exactly is freehand? Bloodborne pathogen standards. He was able to get multiple statums into the country of China, and that was very cool because That's those were cool. the first statum piercing studios mm. in China. And in March 2020, we all know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. The world ended, so we were unfortunately not able to maintain the meetups, especially with Asia specifically being so large. Very, It's very difficult for a lot of piercers to have the finances and have the travel time mm. to be able to make it to a meetup. And on top of like on really strict lockdowns. There's very strict lockdowns. And from what I heard, it's very regional dependent, but that's a whole different topic. I could sure. Talk. I mean, even I'm, I was, uh, bleh, I kind of chalked off my Let's try that one again. <laughs> Obviously I'm located in the UK and the UK is a tiny, tiny island. And there were still regional differences in lockdowns, like different grades, different phases. You could be one town over and they could be allowed to go out and be doing, going around doing things. And then in my city, we would be under a more strict lockdown and the business would have to be shut. And so it caused a lot of discontent between businesses because obviously clients could just drive an hour and get whatever they wanted, kind of advantaging or disadvantaging certain areas, purely based on case loads and, and case numbers and that kind of thing. So even though it was a tiny, tiny island, there were still just dozens, if not hundreds of different localities with different lockdown regulations. So I can't imagine the scale of how, how much more there must have been in such a bigger area. Yeah, absolutely. It's... It was very similar to what you experienced. I do need to clarify that I was not in China during lockdown or sure. anything like that. Yeah. I was in Atlanta, Georgia. But 
it was very similar in that sense where a lot of discontent could happen because, for example, my my region that I grew up in, Guangzhou, did not have as harsh of lockdowns as Shenzhen, China did. And even though they're only about an hour away, they had very, very different regulations where in Guangzhou, it was just lockdown, please don't go outside, live your best life after that. And in Shenzhen, I had a lot of friends who expressed discontent. I can't make money here. They're not letting us leave our house. If someone has COVID and it's reported, the whole region would be locked down. No one would be able to leave. And I even had a friend who was like, I have to work to provide for my family. And in order to do that, I actually had to leave my phone with my wife all day so I could travel and do what I have to do to survive in this country. So I heard a lot of different stories from a lot of wonderful people who are willing to open up and share with me their experiences of China. And along with hearing my family stories where they were like, actually, for us, it wasn't that bad at all. Mm. It was a little bit difficult, but we could just order everything. Everything was super convenient. We did not have as intensive a lockdown compared to other regions in China. So that was just a very interesting situation to navigate on top of the fact that we were maintaining relationships from across the world and not fully being able to read or write Chinese on my end and not fully being able to read or write English on their end. So we were just like, let's just navigate this together. And this past April, this past April, I was able to finally go back to China after three years of not being able to return to my home country. The country had completely locked itself down for three years all the way through. No one was allowed in, nobody was allowed out, and it was a very interesting dynamic for the major question of would we ever be able to go back to our home country? Will our visa still work? Mm -hmm. What happens when our visas expire in four years or so? Will we be able to go back then? What will the policies be? So it's been very interesting to navigate this with half my family being in China, along with some very close friends of mine who also live in China, who pierce in China, who pierce in an uncertain area that is not fully talked about in this community strictly because a lot of us don't know what's going on out there. Yeah. But anyway, I had the opportunity to pierce at Life Creator in Shenzhen, China, which is owned by Huai and Mankit, who a lot of people have had the opportunity to meet at a conference, which was super nice. And it was beautiful. It was amazing how well set up their studio was. It, they used sterile gloves. Their statum was immaculate. Everything was polished down. They had people wearing little booties whenever they wanted to go into the studio to promote extra cleanliness. And overall, it was just a very interesting experience to see the, such a well-done quality studio in the country of China, allowing Safe Piercing to make it out there, where for a very long time, nothing like that existed. And so when you were piercing there uh, as a guest, did you notice any differences in the demographic? What kind of demographic were you working on? Was it just very varied in terms of like age and background and that kind of thing? Or was it, was it more focused to one or the other, like younger clients, older clients? Yeah. As for demographic, I mainly pierce industry people strictly mm. because I hadn't spoken Chinese right. frequently in the past three years. And when I got there, I was like, I do not know how to say hypertrophic scarring in sure. Chinese. Yeah. How do you say sterile saline? 
I have no idea. Turns out I speak dirty South Chinese. <laughs> so I wasn't quite sure how to say a lot of professional medical terms. So what we ended up doing is I ended up piercing a lot of folks from the industry who happened to have a studio in Guangzhou. They all just showed up and we did a lot of trial runs with cool. how's your setup? What's the difference between your setup and my setup? And they actually taught me the punch and taper method where I was, I was like, I have never done that before. So that was interesting to try, yeah, especially cool. in a different country. And it was interesting learning to pierce with the terms in Chinese and also being extremely sleep deprived mm. with the jet lag. It is Wh no what's joke. the general like time difference? 12 hours, 12 hours. Yeah. Wow. So if it's 9am here, it's 9pm there. Yeah. And it is a big jump. It's, I respect any person that travels across the country multiple times and just really bounces around time zones and everything like that. Even not that intense, like all the Australians and New Zealanders that are here and they're just like, they're super up and chipper and all day long have energy. <laughs> and it's like, I, I only have a three hour difference and I can barely stay awake. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. Everyone looked so awake at the international committee yesterday. And I was like, wow, I was just falling asleep when I was in China. Like I was like, that couch looks very comfortable. Can I actually sleep on it, please? Yeah. But... Yeah, the community in China has changed significantly since I was younger. For example, when I was 14, I used to live in China, and I wanted piercings. I wanted to be the rebellious kid that we are at the age of 14. So I went to a Chinese subway station mall and got eight gun piercings done at once in this questionable mall. They're actually still open. I went back and said hi to them. They never forgot me, of course. Yeah? But... <laughs> Yeah, it was just interesting because that was the community, that was what we knew about piercings. It was, you put a hole in someone, you put some stones in there, right. and it looks cool. You have been pierced. You have been pierced. Yeah. Technically it worked. Yeah. Put some alcohol on it, maybe it'll heal. And they were all pretty much cartilage piercings. I got my tragus done with a gun. It was not a good time, but... It was just such a big, big difference from what was going on in America. And then on t when Google became very big in my life, where I was able to look up like quality piercing studios. Oh, you have to be 18 to get pierced legally here. The jewelry standards seem very different in this country and flatbacks sound like they are some magical thing. And when I switched over to flatbacks, I was like, this is such a big game changer from what's going on in China. And... I hadn't really thought about international piercing until I had listened to that podcast that you did with Hawaii and realized, wow, there's a whole different world out there and I have an advantage of being able to connect with someone in China, connect them to America, really get everything going so then that way we can take what community we have in this country and branched out and hopefully foster a sense of community in my hometown, my home country, and see where it takes us. Yeah. In the grand scheme of how difficult it is to be an international piercer, as Lola and I talked about, I didn't learn there was a lot of, or I did not realize there was a lot of situations where things that are easily accessible in America are very difficult to access in different countries. Mm -hmm. So Sometimes it's kind of difficult to bring up because it makes you sound like uh, you have, you know, sour grapes to talk about the th those things sometimes. Like when I bring it up, I always feel like I'm the kind of like, you know, I'm here to give you depressing news, you know, like that kind of thing. But there, there have been times where, um, 
piercers, predominantly US or North America based, will discuss their incomes and that sort of thing. And it's, it's wildly above what I think most of the rest of the world earns. Maybe there are some exceptions in, in a handful of studios, but globally, I don't think anybody gets paid more than you get paid in the US. And no one ever likes to talk about money and that kind of thing. So when it does pop up, the rest of the world looks and goes, huh, that's how much those, those people are getting paid. And I had um, a piercer actually reach out to me in like a private message and basically say like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Like I'm doing everything they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing wrong financially. And I'm like, you're just in a different country, a different taxation system, different barriers, different, different paywalls. I mean, just even things like shipping costs, import duties, all of the different local domestic taxations make America the cheapest country in the world to do a high end piercing business. Like there is nowhere globally you could do it for less money and charge as highly. And it's not a criticism, like it's not a critique. I think a lot of people hear that and they're like, well, I work hard for my money. I'm like, I'm not saying you don't, you do work very hard. Well, you work hard, <laughs> um, but like, you know, you work very hard and it's, it's not in any way a criticism. It's just an observation that when those things pop up, I think it just reminds everybody of the massive global disparity that there really is. You know, we come to an event like this and we're all here together, but people are going back to massively different realities. I'm not a sports fan, but I like the analogy of saying um, born on third base, if right. that translates well. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm not even, I'm in the UK. It's not the worst situation. It's not the best situation. There are a lot of problems and being in a relationship with Ryan and getting like an up close look at how his business operates and mine. I know that if I did exactly what he did, same stock, same overhead, same costs, all that stuff, I would still keep substantially less of the money um, than he would be able to because of our economic differences. So I think sometimes people forget that you can be working just as hard as someone else, twice as hard as somebody else. It doesn't mean you're going to be compensated in the same way. So I think like for international piercers, that's quite a big thing when it pops up. It kind of like, huh, okay, we are, things are a little bit different still. You know, it sometimes gets glazed over a little bit. Uh, what, what would you say are some of like the, the bigger obstacles for, for piercers in China? Is it access to like jewelry made outside of China? Is it getting in supplies? Is it economic issues like locally, like the, the, the wages of their client base? Or what would you say are some of the bigger challenges? Absolutely. There's a lot of moving factors. And at the end of the day, I wouldn't consider it depressing to be sharing information on us having different wage incomes or different access to different levels of things where it may be easy for one country and difficult for others. If it is not talked about, we will never know. And we as a community will never be able to further help you or every other country that needs different things. Because if we find out, oh, it's hard for you to get iodine, how can we help you get iodine? But if it's not talked about, we will never know. Mm -hmm. So that's where... I think it's just news nobody wants to hear. So it's kind of like, I hate being the one to bring it up, but at the same time, it's like, I'll just totally bring it up because I, I apparently don't feel awkward about anything. Um, but it's just one of those little things where when it does pop up, particularly with, um, international stuff, it's just a reminder that like, we can all be doing the same thing. We can all be working just as hard. And I think that that's why I like to bring it up sometimes is that piercers will like, like reach out to me sometimes and be like, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. Like what's deficient in me that I'm, I'm not this big success with houses and cars and things. And you're like, 
because of the situation that you're in and the place that you're in is just massively different. We can't like pretend all of that stuff doesn't exist because we can come together for this one week and we do go back to different realities. And I think that's something that's really good about the fact that there is an international members meeting to kind of push everybody together and find out a little bit about what they're dealing with and what their backgrounds are, I think is really invaluable for the, for the APP to have. So That's what cool. what kind of representation do you feel when you when you come to a conference like this for like non US piercers like Asian Asian area piercers Chinese specific piercers like do you, have you met other attendees here this year uh, outside of Hawaii? So Hawaii is actually going to be let's get into Chinese technicalities. Okay. Hawaii is Malaysian. Mm -hmm. He is technically not from mainland China. Well, he's not technically. He's not from mainland China. Mankit is. Mankit is historical, and she is very embarrassed every time I say this, but she is the first Chinese piercer to ever come to America to attend APP. It is very difficult to leave the country of China if you are a Chinese citizen, mm -hmm. especially with the big influx of the American dream 20, 30 years ago, where a huge mass of Chinese people, their goal was to become an American citizen or have their children born on American soil, so they had hope for a better life. That's what happened with my family. My sister and I were intentionally born in America, so we would have access to the world that you would not have with a Chinese passport. So, technicality-wise, it is a privilege to have an American passport. We are allowed to access almost every country without a visa. It's very different in China. In China, you have to apply for a visa and actually go to an in-person interview where they potentially may turn you down just because they feel like it. Mm. That's also something where you need to do this every single time you go anywhere. Really? And it's not an easy feat sometimes, and it can be very stressful, and it can make traveling very difficult because a lot of the tickets might have to be last minute if you get your visa last minute. That also causes price disparities, and that's a whole different topic. But as for just getting a visa to come to America, I remember all of us being very nervous for the interview on if Mankut could actually make it to this country. I even saved her interview date in my calendar to be like, hey, are you okay? Are you coming? Did you make it? But you can't specifically say, hey, country of China, I want to go to America and go to a piercing conference because I want to further my education. So there's not a presumption that you'll just be able to go like in other countries, there might just be a presumption that I'm free to go wherever. Yeah, you it's don't not like a rubber stamp thing. Yeah, there's, there's still no, a very like they, unknown There's factor. a realistic chance they could just say no, and that would be it. Yes, and that is a very big deal. So, right. for example, after a certain point in my grandma's life, she was banned from leaving the country. Why? We have no idea. But she came to America once and could not come back ever again. Same goes for my grandparents. They went to America, and then they went to Australia to visit all of our family members, and after that, they were not allowed to leave the country again. The country of China is very worried about the citizens leaving because, at the end of the day, this is citizens are a resource in China, and they are worried that citizens will leave and go to America or other countries and leave mm -hmm. once they realize this might be a lifestyle that might be better for them. So you can't explicitly say, I'm going to the country to, or going to America to see my friends. Because then the country of China will be questioning, 
Why are you going to see your friends in America? Are mm-hmm. you trying to make connections out there to move there? Are you trying to leave and betray China? What is your intention? So you have to lead in with a different perspective of, hey, I actually would like to just go see a national park. I would like to see what California looks like. But China's number one, so we need we do intend to come back, mm-hmm. and that's how you can get a visa. Mm-hmm. It's pretty different from getting a, an American visa, where I went through a whole different journey of, they were very specific about the photos. They, If you have jewelry in your face, the country of China will tell you that you are not a real human being, which is the most strange thing to argue out of everything we could be debating in a visa application center, but that was the dilemma I had multiple times. Every time I get a visa, they'll be, they'll tell me to take out my dermal. And as we know, you cannot physically take out a dermal without things being not bloody Mm -hmm. in the office. And they will tell you over and over again that you're just not a real person. You won't qualify to enter the country of China unless you take out all your jewelry. And even this time around, I had some trouble with it because I have a surface bar. Mm -hmm. I had a filterman and... Even if you take the tops off, they still don't care. They just want you to have no jewelry whatsoever. They're very specific about if your ears are showing, because my ears are tattooed. That was another point where they did not enjoy that and counted that as me not being a real person. And we also have to be invited in by a family member or a friend for the purpose of being able to say that we know someone in China and that's why we want to go visit the country. Mm-hmm. And even this past time around, it was very complex to get in. It was difficult the whole way through. But we have to remember that these America and China do not like each other as countries. So we do not have the opportunity for dual citizenship. And it is very difficult as a first-generation Chinese person to have the discussion of what do you do when your home countries, both your home countries, hate each other Hmm. and you run the risk of not ever being able to visit again if one country decides to just change their mind forever. So navigating visa application has been a whole ordeal, but the fact that she made it to America is absolutely monumental. That is something where this will set an example for other Chinese piercers that we are friends with who are scared to make the big jump to come to America, to come to a country where they do not speak any of the language and just to kind of see what the community's like over here. But as for what you were talking about earlier when it comes to difficulties of what to access in China, saline was a big one. I did not realize this was prevalent in multiple countries where you cannot buy saline in your local grocery stores or corner shops or anything like like that. We had a mishap because apparently controlled substance is a different thing in China than it is in America because originally they told me saline is a controlled substance and I was very shocked Mm -hmm. and eventually I found out that's not the same term but you cannot go and just buy saline off the streets or pretty much anywhere and even I believe if you order saline and sell in studio that might be illegal as well really I think I need I'll I'll double check with that one I'm curious about the 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 context of why if it's something that's you know for a medical industry or if it's who knows? Like, I would love to understand the logic behind why someone sees that as like a, a harmful product or something. 
I wouldn't say it's a harmful product. Yeah. I would say it's a medical product. Sure. It's much like how in the state of Georgia, we are not allowed to do surface piercings technically because using a dermal punch is too clo- too close to a surgery mm-hmm. because of the handle on the on the tool. Mm-hmm. Or single point piercings in general are banned in Georgia now because of the fact that we're working with the top layers of skin. They count that as a surgery. Hmm. So we all have different types of like medical terminology that each country can be very specific about if they want to be. But dermal punches, which are something that's used across this country, is not allowed in the state of Georgia for being a medical product. Saline is technically an IV bag inside of a can. So that could be considered a medical product. Sure. As for why saline itself is so difficult to access in the country of China, we'll never know. Mm -hmm. They, the country's big on keeping their secrets, but Another one that was very difficult for them to access was iodine. Hmm. I remember they were so excited to show me this new disinfectant that they had gotten in, and they had shown me single-use iodine swab sticks. And I was like, wow, I have the privilege of being able to order that, and Amazon will actually deliver it to my door Mm -hmm. in two hours. It's wild how much work they had to go through to get that. Yeah. Or jewelry. I don't think... Most companies will ship directly to the country of China. So it's also very difficult because the import laws Mm -hmm. and export laws are a little bit more loose because China is such a big manufacturing country. But import laws are very difficult. When I first met them, they were telling, or my friends in China were telling me about how you have to get your supplies shipped through multiple countries to get there, which means you're getting taxed each country. Each time, And... That adds up. And of course, if you're a piercer, you want to be able to offer affordable piercings to your community at a safe price point. That also allows you to sustain a business. So sometimes their jewelry would be getting taxed two or three times over, sometimes four if something goes wrong, or they could risk the customs offices taking everything away. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different risks involved for just trying to get jewelry in your studio and it shouldn't be this difficult, but it's an unfortunate reality where we, we as an Americans, we have a very lackadaisical approach to ordering where we can just go online to a website and click a couple buttons and check out. And it shows up a couple days later. Maybe shows up a couple days later. You don't even have to put in your information. Mm. Shop pay covers it all. Mm. So it's very convenient for us. And For them, you have to go on a whole journey. And I'm not sure what it's like in the UK, for example, but it's it's interesting seeing how much they have to navigate to get the proper needles and tools and supplies they would want and how there's still a lot of supplies that they won't be able to access because it's just not an option in China. Mm -hmm. It is also very difficult for the country because they do not have access to American social medias. A lot of our piercing groups are on Facebook. Yeah. A lot of our piercing communities are also on Instagram. Yes, you can technically access it with a VPN, but is it as convenient? And will that reach every single piercer in China who does not use a VPN or does not know there's more to look into? They also can't use Google. It's disparity. It, you know, it's it's the same kind of disparity that's happening where it's not it, it's not accurate to say, well, it's just a level playing field and anybody could just start a business and start doing this thing. You have to know people. You have to have inroads into supply chains that maybe aren't always explicitly lawful. I hear that um, come up in, in markets all across the world. 
like Central and South America, a lot of times they have to basically smuggle the supplies they need into the country because of yeah. more because of I think corruption at, at you know different points of transit where if something might just go missing at a at a customs station or something. But yeah, uh, lots of countries around the world have to struggle just to get the things that Americans might completely disregard as commonplace. Something you can just go to Walmart and, and just buy in, in an afternoon. I, I I'm ninety percent sure it's Brazil. I'm not hundred percent sure because it was a few years ago I heard this from Salah during again one of the international meetings he'd mentioned they had a hundred percent import tax so whatever it is you're buying you're going to pay double just to get it so then your markups are going to have to be even higher but you're selling in a market that's significantly less developed so again it's this massive massive gap Mm -hmm. um so it's it's unless you have those connections and have those ties that's why they're so significant like you're saying mankin's gonna is gonna be 10 years from now 20 years from now probably someone who's looked up to by a whole lot of people um you know not just in china but globally because you know it reminded me of uh i interviewed a piercer called john who works at uh, nirvana piercing in glasgow and it's kind of like it's the oldest studio for piercing in at least Scotland, possibly the UK, although I'm not 100% sure on that. And I interviewed with him and he opened in 1990, which is the year I was born, which to me is like, it it makes it seem even older somehow. And um, I interviewed him and spoke with him about, so how did you get into piercing? Who did you learn from? Because there wasn't really much going on history-wise from that time. And he was like, oh, I went to America and I went to Gauntlet. I went to Gauntlet, I bought magazines. I think he got videos. I think, were they doing videos at that time in the late 80s? He he got the videos, he got the magazines, he took it all home and he watched them and basically learned what he was doing and started piercing. And that was 33 years ago. So it's like that simple journey of being able to come here um, and getting the permission to do that and, and get all of this information and take it back and be able to share it with so many other people. Like it, it seems like a tiny thing, but it's those tiny little things that are going to build so much more community. So I think that you're probably right in that you don't really appreciate it at the time, but 10, 20, 30 years from now, it could be really significant that they're here. Absolutely. I tell them this all the time. Mm. I 100% agree with you in the sense of everything they do is monumental yeah. and historical, especially in such a country that's geared against tattooing and piercing mm-hmm. in general. But I mean, it's significant they're here now. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be like, oh, it will be. Yeah. But I mean, like the ripple effect of those things, it, can, it can't be overstated. Exactly. And... From the country of China, I'm sure every Australian piercer will understand too. The commute is horrible. Mm-hmm. It's about 24 hours on a good day, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. It's usually not a good day when you're trying to transfer between four flights. So <laughs> it's a lot of running through airports and doing your best with no sleep or showering. <laughs> but that's something where even information where trying to access information in China is very difficult too in the sense of literature. It is banned, which makes sense because it's the country of China. They're very limiting on what they'll accept, what they won't. This time around, I brought Huai and Mankit, the three foundational books we all know and love, which it would be the Piercing Bible, the second edition since we're modern now, running the gauntlet so we can talk about history and modern primitives, just a beautiful approach on body modification in general. I did not realize how difficult it was to get these books in China. Hmm. In fact, I asked them, do you have these books? And they were very excited to tell me that they unfortunately do not, but at least they got a knockoff of Modern Primitive. 
And they were like, we'll take it. It's it's better than nothing. Yeah. But even just trying to get books out there, just so you can further your education, is very difficult. And that's something where we actually talked over dinner last night with Luis, Pablo, and Brian, Huai, and Mankit, where we just went to them and we were like, hey, we don't really know what's going on and what to do. And here's some questions that we have about how to navigate piercing in the Chinese community and how to navigate a community that doesn't fully exist yet. How do we start an ABP? What would we look into to do that? How do we bring education to China? What would be the method to translate classes or further the education for both our clients and the piercers in the country? And how do we do it in the safest way possible? And we were very fortunate where they agreed that we should be translating these documents and bringing this education to the country so both clients and piercers know that safe piercing is an option. We don't need to use what we used to use. And we essentially were trying to figure out the best method to get it all to work out, Mm -hmm. I guess is the best way to put it. But it was very cool being able to talk to them about it and learn that this was not their first rodeo of, hey, we have a dilemma. We have no idea what to do. It's difficult to navigate this country, and there's a lot of cultural differences, whereas I won't fully understand it, and I never will because I live in the the country of America. Mm -hmm. And what we experience will be very different from Chinese culture. And that's even something where in my day-to-day life I realize, wow, that's a habit from Chinese culture that doesn't fly well in America. For example, we all say hi to each other on the streets in America. In China, we do not. That is too many people to say hi to. We're not dealing with that. And it's best to just walk by briskly. So I learned that when you're hiking in America, you can't just do that. You have to say hi to people and be nice in the South. But there's a lot of cultural differences, and we wanted to navigate how to safely introduce companies without it causing a huge influx in what would it be exploitation exploitation is a good word exploitation by the factories in china no one wants to talk about the reality of it but china is the number one country for knockoff brands questionable materials lack of quality control don't get me wrong though there are a lot of amazing manufacturers in china that produce incredible beautiful things Mm -hmm. that work very well for example Probably everything on this podcast table is made in China. Mm -hmm. And these devices can be very reliable. They can help you get very far into life. And manufacturing-wise, it might have been done by a really good company that really was trying to help. But at the same time, there's a lot of issues where a lot of knockoff brands can come to light and degrade the quality of piercing and spread misinformation in a country where they're already limited with access to outside information. So it was just interesting learning about how different it was to Pierce in China and how unique it was to navigate their specific culture. And to convey it over a microphone, there will never be a good way to fully do this. Mm-hmm. But at the bare minimum, it's worth starting the conversation of how can we navigate this together as piercers and where can we go from here i think if you look at every successful international organization at least that i'm aware of they all had those conversations initially of like Mm -hmm. we know that we need something but we don't know how to create that something we don't even know what that something will end up becoming 
But I, I think that those conversations are vastly important. And then, you know, if we check in on you, maybe next year, the year after, the year after that, you can start to see that seed grow into something. And it's it's a really important conversation to have. So if, if people haven't kind of put that thought in, in your mind yet, like these are important conversations to have. You raise an interesting point as well about how um, the developing piercing industry in China is developing at a time when there are now larger companies available uh, to distribute that could potentially, as you say, put out misinformation or you know propaganda that gears people towards buying their merchandise. Whereas in the US, um, when the piercing community was really starting to take off, companies were smaller and they really kind of grew almost in tandem with each other for a while. A lot of it was grass, um, grassroots marketing and, and growth. Whereas that dynamic has changed a little bit in developing markets where they now actually have to be vigilant to things like you know, making sure that they're being informed honestly and unbiasedly. Right. And, Instead of a company coming in and saying, well, that looks like a market we can exploit and make some money right. off of. And it's let's a, kind of... That's a unique challenge. That yeah. Wasn't let's shape the information that they're given access to so that they're steered towards our products. Absolutely. So we learned a lot this time around and spoke to a Russian piercer during this conference as well and learned that Russia actually had very similar policies to China where a lot of their websites are restricted as well. Mm. It's very difficult to access things in that country for a multitude of obvious reasons. But it was interesting seeing the two countries just talk about the differences and then realizing how similar things ended up being. So we'll never know about everyone's countries unless we all start talking about it and being like, hey, I heard you have this problem. How can we navigate this together? Because I actually had this problem 10 years ago. Here's what I did. Or we can all just collaborate in the sense of we all have a community problem. Let's just all brainstorm together and see where it takes us. Mm -hmm. But this is all coming from the perspective of a privileged American piercer. It is a privilege to pierce in America, whether we want to admit it or not. Oh, I'll admit it. Exactly. I'll admit it's, it. it's one of those. You've been to other places. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, because I have left the United States of America in my life. Yeah, it, it's an absolute privilege. You, you don't have, have access beans, to so though. many things. You don't have beans. I don't have beans. No, there's no beans here. No beans. It's this whole no. thing in, in the UK, like they want beans with like every meal and you just can't get those kinds of beans in the US. And oh. No, it's weird. Pay is in beans. That's anyway. No, I, mean, I get that. China has the best fruit and I, yeah? I get sad when I come back to the Brazil had some pretty amazing fruit. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I totally talked over you about beans. No, <laughs> Important point no, to bring up. possible thing. So excuse me, let me finish. Beans. <laughs> I support it. I get it. I literally went to China and I was like, here's all the places and foods I want to eat. We're, we cannot progress further in our conversations of catching up unless we have food. Right. So, well, what, what do you think that um, U.S. piercers could do to better support Chinese piercers, as an example, or is it kind of maybe too early in the thought process to really nail something down like that yet? I'm, so, again, this is from a perspective of an American piercer where I do not want to be an end-all, be-all where I speak for my friends where they may have sure. different perspectives mm -hmm. as well, but take the time to listen to their stories. Just learn. You don't have to do much with the information. Just sit on it. Marinate a little bit and realize that you are not the only one in your industry and your friends are not the only ones in the industry. There's a whole different world out there that doesn't speak English, but still wants to do the same things we do. English shouldn't be the main language for body modification. 
realistically, we should be able to have it accessible in every language. Is that a lot? Absolutely. That's going to take a lot of manpower, a lot of volunteer time, and it'll be rocky for a while. But having the end goal of being able to understand that we shouldn't have a separation between just American piercers and international piercers. We should just have a one cohesive group of piercers. piercers. Yeah. And the best way to go about that is just sharing information. But... In the grand scheme of things, that's something where it's worth talking about. I just wanted to bring it up in a sense where I don't want to be spreading any form of misinformation mm-hmm. or portraying it as if my home country's at a disadvantage or anything like that. But the story needed to get out, and we were not really sure how to navigate sharing this information. And we were just like, okay, let's let's just talk about it and see where this goes. Yeah. And realistically, I only pierced in China for probably two or three days. Mm -hmm. Nothing major. I cannot say I was officially a piercer in China. So my experience would not be anything close to what they've had to go through. But I think it's important to talk about international piercers and really shine a light on something. It really is. Yeah. Sometimes uh, American piercers act like, not necessarily intentionally and not necessarily malevolently, but they kind of act like they own the concept of piercing yeah. and it's really important to kind of pull it back and be like, you didn't invent this. You know, you're just, you were, you were born into a, a kind of obscene level of access sometimes. And sometimes you have to realize that not everyone has the same access. So um, just listen to people and, and kind of like understand their experience and, and do what you can to support the overall community and not just the ones that are like, you know, the U S style of, of piercing. Exactly. That's a very good way to put it. It was something where I knew I had a platform today to talk about something that is very important to me. I did an interview with Starewash a couple years ago, and I talked about the same thing, actually. Mm -hmm. But it's it's cool how much the community has grown. Mm -hmm. Attending that international piercer meeting, it was very, very cool to be able to see piercers from all over the country just show up and talk about their differences. And that's something that has been near and dear to me, especially because I have close friends in China that I really want to see succeed. Mm -hmm. And the first steps to doing that is to get the information there, which is something we'll be planning over the next, like, while, several months, several years, forever. We'll never know. But it's cool to be able to talk about it. And being a traveling piercer, I had the fortunate experience of being able to visit a bunch of different studios and see how they operate and see how they have their own regional differences and take all that information, bring it back to my home base, and then also share it with other piercers around the world. Mm-hmm. So, Well, I, I yeah. really appreciate your time, and I especially really appreciate the perspective. You know, like I... I I have my level of access that that I was born into and that I've gained through a career. And I think it's really important that I can help amplify some some voices and and get it out there. So I'm really glad that you had some time to to sit down and talk with me. No, it's something where, like, I didn't really know what exactly to bring to the table. Lola asked me what I wanted my topic to be. And I was like, I have no idea. I have no good game plan because... I am fortunate to have had a lot of different experiences in this industry and starting with an apprenticeship that would not be considered ideal for most people and moving on to somehow, I have no idea how I got here, somehow being interviewed on a podcast that I used to religiously listen to until I made it and caught up to all your episodes. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm on here. It's 
monumental. I think it's very cool that I had the opportunity to visit so many wonderful studios and learn as much as I can. And I did not think I would make it here. Yeah. So I'm very sh- surprised all around that I'm here. A lot of people tell me that this is just imposter syndrome, but we all experience it. Yes. And it's just one of those where I guess it's interesting being able to have the platform to speak on certain things and talk about how like there's a lot of things we don't see online Mm -hmm. what's going on in china being a major one it's also one of those where it's difficult to kind of convey like how much it is to travel as a piercer yeah lots of moving factors there But as for, like, what to specifically talk about, I got, like, very nervous coming here, and I didn't really know what topics to It's kind of better. You know, sometimes people come on the show and they almost over-prepare. Sometimes people, you know, from the the interactions we've had, it might seem very minimal because, like, I don't want to... I don't want to overplan. I want it to just be kind of the, the conversation. Sometimes people, I'm like, oh, you know, what do you want to talk about? And if it's like a simple thing, or sometimes people are like paragraphs of like their idea, and here's an outline, and it's like, that's 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 too much. That's too much. Let's just kind of wing it. And I, I always prefer those kinds of talks anyway. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, I, I should probably talk about that. I'm a VOC scholarship. I realized that I did not. Yeah, sure. That. Yeah. Um, I don't know where to begin from that. I mean, essentially just that. So you're a scholar for this year? Yes, um, I am a scholar for the Piercers of Color Scholarship, and I am very, very fortunate to have gotten this opportunity because with my six years in this industry, I did not have the chance to attend APP until this year. There was lots of moving factors. We all have things come up. Lots of things comes up. Lots of these things come up at very inconvenient times, so Mm -hmm. I had never had the chance to make it out here. But thanks to the community, as I've been referencing the whole time, being able to donate and support the Piercers of Color Scholarship, I was able to make it out here for the first time Mm -hmm. and really get to experience what it's like to be a member of a community that most people don't talk about and you don't see often in your day-to-day life. And being able to experience people from all around the world and learning about all their different perspectives has really opened up my mindset on where we could go from here and how much this industry will grow from here on out because at the end of the day this is still a very young industry Mm -hmm. so we have no idea where it'll take us in 20 years right maybe your hands will fall out maybe they'll be okay we will never know but i am very thankful for that i did want to specifically thank vanessa and vv for being able to put together a scholarship that allowed so many wonderful people to be able to come and experience Las Vegas in general, along with the fact that we were able to take a lot of classes and educate ourselves in ways that aren't fully possible online sometimes. Um, I was just, you know, randomly right place, right time. I was leaving whatever I was doing yesterday and I, I walked by and I saw the, the POC meeting that Luis was having. Yeah. And just like hearing a simple line of just like, you belong here, like welcome, you belong here. And just hearing that and like, you know, obviously I, I, I'm not like a, a, a piercer of color, but like being able to walk by and kind of just like feel the, the power and a statement like that as I was walking by and, and seeing like a huge group because for a long time, 99.9% of the faces at this conference were all white faces and being able to see a lot more diversity year by year is, is something that I'm really enjoying to see. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's very cool. It's something where 
even in Asian piercing, there's not a lot of us. Mm-hmm. There are some of us, but few and far between. Mm-hmm. So it's just super cool to be able to come and experience something where we're just like, wow, we're not the only Asian people here. Mm-hmm. I think there's only two Asian piercers in Georgia. If I'm wrong, someone please correct me. But we literally found each other and we were like, oh my gosh, we're Asian. Let's yeah. be friends. <laughs> Let's talk about how the differences of it. Yeah. Whereas but, Lola and her UK friends are just trying to figure out where you can get beans. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah I mean, I respect that. Um, <laughs> I went on a whole journey on trying to find things here. I was like, where are all my snacks? Yeah. This is so difficult, but. Well, I think this is probably a good place to start winding it down a little bit, but I would, I would just like to put out an open invitation to invite you back in the future. If you want to do any updates or if you have any suggestions of other, other piercers in your community that I can talk to or amplify voices or anything like that, open invitation for you. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I, I feel like I had a lot to say, and then I realized I did not cover a lot of like what I've done and how I qualify in these things. Well, because... you know, you don't, you don't always have to like tell the entire story in a podcast because yeah. sometimes that that'd be like a five-hour podcast but and let's do a part two i'm what? not qualified to do anything and I'm, I'm here all the time yeah she just won't leave uh well do you have any more questions for her um no i just wanted to say thank you for for coming on and sharing a little bit about yourself and about what the journey's been like for you the past couple of years and sharing some information about um, what you've experienced i'm really glad that we got to to take some time to sit and chat and um yeah i thought it was a really really good conversation uh forgive this for sounding ignorant but you know china being such an enormous country and an enormous amount of languages and dialects i'm sure but is there anything that you would want to say um to chinese piercers on the the recording oh to chinese piercers ni hao I don't know how to say piercing in Chinese. So <laughs> you, know, you know what I've also found for like the, the Latin piercer community, Central and South American, there is no direct translation for piercer. So they use the word driller. Yeah. I and you that. see that all the I time. And it's like, what's a driller? It's like, oh, no, no, that's what they use for, for piercer in Spanish. I only know the old school method of how to say piercing in Chinese, which is what the older generations say, which is Dalong. This is Cantonese, but it means hole puncher. Okay. I mean, that works. <laughs> and they've told me like five or six like a fair amount of times they were like this is how you say it and i'm like cool and then i don't retain it at all and i just go back and i'm like hey how do you say piercing again and they're like did we not just have this conversation 20 minutes ago yeah but as for what to say to the country like chinese piercers it would essentially be be open to learning new things come visit america if you can if that's not possible try to reach out to hawaii reach out to mankit those are going to be your best resources for the country of China because they do have access to America. And that's a very big deal in that country. And again, I wanted to take my time on this platform to really reiterate the fact that what Hawaii and Mankit are doing is historical Mm -hmm. and learn as much as you can. Don't let it be an end all be all if you hit a rut. And if Anyone who happens to speak English and is in China and is listening to this podcast somehow because Spotify is banned in China, along with most things, you can reach out to us anytime. Like me, Hui, Manke, we're all going to be available to talk. Not only that, we have an incredible international board here. Louise is always going to be down to talk. Pablo, Ryan, all of these big names in the industry, if you reach out to them and just say, hey, I would like to have a conversation. They'll be more than happy to use Google Translate and translate the entire thing all the way through just to figure out what's going on. And 
while my Chinese isn't as strong as it used to be, I would still love to be able to help anyone that needs any translation or needs to get a point across. And if we have a language barrier and you don't know how to properly convey what you want to say to the general source of American piercers, that's something where I will sit down with you beforehand and make sure we are on the same page. Mm-hmm. So then that way you know your message will be conveyed correctly. Because when you're speaking multiple languages, your personality changes with each language. And with that, it's hard to express emotions, feelings, thought processes in a whole new language that's very foreign. Hmm. Especially with English, it's a messy language. Yeah, I'll say told. it all days. Yeah. It's, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and <laughs> it's very difficult to learn. Same goes for Chinese. So. Yeah. In general, I just want everyone to be able to have access to safe piercing, have access to the differences between piercing in each country. And I only spoke on my country today because I don't know much about any other country, which is what I went to that conference to learn about or the meeting to learn about. But for China specifically, go through it with an open mind. Don't Mm -hmm. see people as your competitor. See them as a friend. See what you can learn from them and see what you can teach them. It's a very American thing to say. Let's all be friends. Yeah. (laughs) So. That's good advice for anybody, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, be nice to one another. You can play that song, Why Can't We Be Friends? Yeah. Just as (laughs) natural. So, uh, for your personal contact, what would you want people to have? Social media, websites, studio information? Like, what kind of contact info would you want people to have? Yeah. So, again, my name is Melissa, and... My Instagram and also my alias that I did not decide on is Wikilea. So it's W-I-K-I-L-E-A. I am currently located at Equinox Art Collective in Woodstock, Georgia. So that is about 45 minutes from the city of Atlanta. And I am also a traveling piercer. So if you're ever interested in me coming out to hang out at your studio and we can trade information, please feel free to reach out. Other than that, I'm very fortunate to be on this, very grateful to be on this podcast. I looked up to this for a very long time. I, one time I drove like 13 hours to go to one of your classes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I brought my dogs. I was like, you know what? Let's just bring the dogs. We'll, we'll figure it out. Why didn't you bring the dogs to the class? I didn't know if I was allowed to. Oh. I didn't want to be like, hey. Oh. Um, <laughs> always allowed to bring dogs. Missed opportunity. Missed opportunity. Okay, you yeah. know what? Next time. <laughs> Next time, yeah. <laughs> Next time I will also drive 13 hours and still bring my dogs. Okay. But yeah, I, it's, it's crazy that I'm here. I did not think I would make this far in this industry. I am very thankful to have a great support group and have a lot of wonderful people who are in my corner to help me through this industry. Whereas in the beginning, I felt a little bit lost and my mentors were the one who encouraged me to reach out. And that's when I realized that connections are probably going to be the most important thing in any industry realistically, but especially with the piercing community, because our connection, it's not just a business connection. Mm -hmm. It is actually a genuine connection where while we may all be in business together, We all still care about each other on a personal level, and that is a very big difference compared to a corporate world job, for example. And I got off topic with my Equinox Art Collective thing, but Equinox Art Collective, it's in Woodstock, Georgia. As for contact, everything is under Wikilea, so it'll be wikilea.com and all that kind of stuff. Well, I want to say thank you again for coming on and uh, to remind you that hard work pays off. It does. It's It was a lot. It was a lot to get here, and thank you so much for the opportunity to let me speak on my friend's platform, honestly, where I just really wanted the world to know that 
China's trying. We're doing our best. Please don't see us as only like low quality jewelry. Surprisingly, there's a big, huge BVLA stock in China. So don't discredit them. And the language barrier is very difficult. And that's why I wanted to be able to go on today to convey in the American English language what's going on. And hopefully over time we'll have updates on how much has progressed and see where we can go from there. And sure. hopefully we'll have a lot of people reach out with different ideas or maybe reach out about their experiences with their country. And maybe that's something where we can even do like a translation podcast one day. I would love to. Possible. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, open, open invite for you. So, right. Well, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Anything you want to say? Just thanks again. I really appreciate you. And I'm really glad that we could spend some time together getting to know you a little bit better and share you a little bit with the rest of the community. Thank you for listening to my nervous ramblings. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks for talking to us, Wikileah. I really appreciate your insight. I'm always fascinated to to learn what it's like outside of North America. That's my comfort zone. That's where I've pierced my entire career. Uh, I've traveled pretty extensively and, I, and I've seen how piercers operate in different countries and their level of access and all these different things. And just want to remind you that if that if you're in a place where you would consider yourself uh, very fortunate and, and have relatively easy access to, to all the things you want as a body piercer, just realize that you are kind of in the minority of, of piercers in the world. A lot of piercers out there don't have the same level of access and, and certainly don't have... Uh, the, the same fortunate level of, of easy access, affordable access, the same kind of uh, income potential, economic issues, all, all different kinds of stuff. So uh, try to be understanding, try to listen a, a little bit, see what you can do to maybe support piercers that are um, outside of, of your shop and kind of help grow the entire community. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about uh, piercing in Asia, you can go back and listen to episode 123 with a piercer named Hawaii. Uh, I met Hawaii uh, at, at conference. They came to my, my shop and shadowed. We sat down for an interview uh, in my shop, actually. We talk about piercing in, in Southeast Asia. Hawaii is a, a Malaysian piercer, but also works quite a bit in, in China. And another Chinese piercer that I would like to just give a special mention to is Mankit. Um, Wikileah mentioned them quite a bit. Hawaii mentioned them quite a bit. They're obviously a, a really important leader in the, the Chinese piercer community. So I just want to say uh, hello to Mankit and uh, just tell other piercers out there to keep your ears open when you hear these names come up because they're, they're working really hard for their communities. So let's see what we can do to support them. Um, no, ep- no new episode next week, but uh, I have some more that, you know, in, in the works plans, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you're interested in my Sunday, August 20th, 2023 Bevel Theory webinar, you can sign up, get all the info at ryanpba.com, and I'll be back with some more nonsense soon. Thanks for listening. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>